Rhino. Hello, everybody. So lovely to be back. I just, this is my first time back since the new year. So it's lovely to see you all. And it's such a privilege to be able to preach this morning at the beginning of the year. I find that very exciting. And um, Stan and Heather are away on leave still. And um, my husband, Greg, is also away on a business trip. So he was actually meant to preach this morning. And then he went away on a business trip. And I said, well, I'll preach then for you. (laughs) So you're getting me this morning. But I'm trusting that the Lord will do mighty things. And um, we have been doing a mini-series over the last three weeks, and next week will be the end of that series, on John 3.16, which is a, an amazing scripture. So I'm going to be preaching to you from that scripture today. Um, but I just wanted to say prophetically, and just declare it today, that today is the day of salvation, and so if you do not know the Lord, today is your day to find him and to meet him. And um, I also want to declare that may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering today. So 2024, hey, can you believe it? Um, in, In 2017, I think Heather started this thing where she was asking God, what's her word for the year? And I love that because it's such a great thing to say, okay, God, what are you saying for the year for me? And what's the word that I, the thing that I want to work on, the thing that you want to do for the year? And so I thought that was quite an exciting thing. And maybe if, if you feel that you would like to do that is to ask God, what's my word for the year? What do you want me to accomplish, to achieve, to overcome? And, um, and ask the Lord for your word. And he's got a specific word for you for 2024. And I'll just share mine with you. I was, Stan actually mentioned it last year, and it's the word authority. And I would love to grow in the authority of Christ this year. And um, Greg's word was advance. He wants to move forward and and overcome and take ground. So ask the Lord. My one friend asked her what her word is, and she said the word is slow and present, just to, to, be, to be slow and present. So ask God. Um, Leah's word is excel. So she wants to excel this year in the things that she does at school and in her sport and in her ballet and all those things. So ask the Lord for your word for the year. And there is this amazing scripture in 1 Corinthians 9. It's from the message. It says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard to the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it and missing out myself. And that's from 1 Corinthians 9, 27 from the message. And I love it because it's like, let's run with the gospel. Let's take this year, take the gospel, a kabatin, and run with the gospel. And that is really my, the title of my message is back to the gospel or run with the gospel. And um, the gospel is the thing that Jesus has given us to proclaim and to share with others and to, to Put into our own lives, and so 
let's go back to the gospel this morning. So our key, let's look at our key scripture, John 3:16, and I'll just read a little bit after up to verse 21. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can we say that all together? Because I'm sure you guys know that scripture really well. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, I think I could sit down. That's just like amazing. That scripture is so beautiful. But to continue the thought that John was giving us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so from this scripture... I wanted to share three main thoughts. The first thought I wanted to share with you, an idea, and the first point, you can say, is God's love. I want to look at, for God so loved the world. I want to look at this word love. I want to look at what, what it means, God's love. I want to know what is God's love. I know that God loves me, but why does he love me? And how do I live out this love? So that's what are the first section that I'm going to look at. The second section I want us to look at is, um, it says, whoever believes shall not perish. So I want us to look at what do we believe? What do we believe in so that we don't perish? And the third thing that I want to look at is eternal life. Eternal life from the moment of salvation onwards, onwards forever, eternal life. Okay, so let's look at God's love. So 1 John 4 verse 9, which is the same author that wrote that scripture, says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So how do we understand the love of God and why does he love us? I was thinking about it. I don't think that we can fully comprehend God's love but I know that we have a lifetime to discover and explore it. So a lot of what I'm sharing today is from a book that my friend wrote, Peter Lewis. He wrote a book called Back to the Gospel, and I have dived into that book because it's about the gospel, and that's the thing that is burning on my heart. And so um, he says, for too long we focused on what God has done instead of being amazed at why he did it. So why did God love the world? God is love. And John, who wrote that scripture, revealed a profound truth when he penned these words. God does not just act in loving ways. He is love. His nature and his being is the very substance of love. And to know God is to know real love. And for love to truly be love, 
It requires something or someone to bestow itself upon. I believe this is why God created mankind and why he chose to redeem us through the sacrifice of a son. Because he is love, God delights to share his heart with mankind. He loves to disclose his affections and to romance us. Imagine if you have a whole lot of love and you keep it to yourself. You feel all this love inside for someone, but there's no outworking or action for all this love that you have inside. I was trying to compare God's love to something. I mean, it's very difficult. But if you think about the way that you love your children, the love that you have for them, or your spouse, or your family, or your parents, just think about that love that you have and what it causes you to do in your life, to sacrifice and to to make them happy and to serve them. And so to try and take a little bit of something that we know about love and to apply it to what God has done for us. And um, without an accurate um, understanding of how extravagantly God loves us, we will not have an authentic encounter with a saving power resulting in a transformed and abundant life. We must understand the love of God so that we can experience the salvation truly. God loves the world. We've heard through the life of Jesus that God really loves the world. And he's proven it by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Through this astounding gift, he has also proven how much he values us. He has made a bold declaration to mankind that we are of tremendous value to him. So much so that he went to the extremes of sacrificing his own son to destroy the sinful nature that separated us, giving us the righteousness that is required in order to be close to him. And in Psalm 25, it says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. And God has made his covenant known to us and he's revealed it to us through his son because he loves us. And, and Francine Rivers wrote a beautiful book called Redeeming Love. And one of the quotes from there says, love is the way back to Eden. It's the way back to life. God wants to take us back to the garden where he first created Adam and Eve and they communed with him and they walked with him in the cool of the day. God desires a relationship with us, a communion with him. And he is a holy God. And so he sent his son Jesus to make us holy so that we can commune with him. I don't know if you've heard some of the, the latest, some of the songs that have been re released of late, but I love some of the lyrics because they, it's like poetry, the way that they describe God's love. So there's one song called Reckless Love and there's another song called Crazy Love. And I'll just read some of the lines. So it's such a great, they're such great songs. It's better than you can ever imagine. It finds you, it chases you down, it knocks on your door, it welcomes you in, it accepts you for who you are, it didn't need your yes when it died to save you. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases you down, fights till you're found, leaves the 99. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's overwhelming. It's never-ending. It's the love of God. So God gave us, he gave his, um, sorry, God gave his all 
without knowing the return on his investments, without knowing, in inverted commas. So he took a big risk to save us when he gave us the freedom to choose him and to accept him. I was trying to compare it to something that we can relate to, but imagine everything that you own, like all your money, all your possessions. It's like investing it into somebody, giving them everything, and then you're not sure actually if that person is going to love you back or if that person is going to choose you. They actually might even reject you. They might turn away from you. They might just spend it all and waste it all and even spit in your face. And that's kind of the the recklessness of God's love. It's like he gave his son, his everything to us without the surety of us even turning to him because he's given us free will to choose him. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I'm blown away by God's love that he would do that. And that's why I'm like, God, I've got to serve you with my all. I've got to give you my everything because you gave your all for me. And so my prayer this morning is that God would reveal his love to you in a new and a fresh way. And that this year in 2024, you would walk in more and more of his love and an understanding of his love for you. And I was so excited to preach because I was like, what I want to do this morning is I want to just lift your heads and I want you to remember Jesus and I want you to remember what he's done. And at the end, we're going to take communion. I love taking communion because it helps us to remember Jesus. And so my second point is, what do we believe? And this, it says that if you believe in this one and only son, you will not perish. And so let's look at what we believe. So belief is faith, and faith is the key to assessing this great love. Faith comes by hearing the word, which is the word of Christ, and looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Faith comes through prayer, through worship and adoration. It says in the scriptures that it comes through hearing. And so today, your faith is going to grow because you're hearing the word of the Lord today. So your faith is increasing in the name of Jesus. And as you look to Jesus this morning, as you did in worship, and even now, think of Jesus, picture him in your mind. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Okay? So being justified, and the word justified means just as if I've never sinned, being made clean, is by belief and confession. So what the Bible says is to be cleansed and to be saved, we must declare with our mouth what we believe in our hearts. There's another song that Elise and I were pushing at, we were singing at arrows because I love what it says. It says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in eternal life. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. I believe in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection and that Jesus will come again. I believe in Jesus. And that is a confession of our faith. That is a, an out, a speaking out what we believe inside of our hearts. That song is a great song. 
So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to remind you of the gospel that you have believed this morning and that you stand on. By this gospel, you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is actually Paul speaking to the Corinthians. But he says, this is what you believe, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So it's his resurrection as well. So I love Romans 5. You guys should read Romans. The whole book of Romans is just an amazing book. But from the message, I love what it says. So you can read with me. I think Megs will put it up. It says, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line, that reckless love, for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, this consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Can I get an amen? That was like amazing. And those are Romans 5 words, okay? Those are not even mine words, so that's amazing. That's the gospel. And so understanding the gospel is understanding that we need to be born again. So you have heard the saying to be born again. And actually in John, Jesus had just spoken to Nicodemus about being born again. And then John writes the scripture, for God so loved the world. And so being born again or partaking in the divine nature means to understand our justification as a rebirth into the nature and likeness of God. In, in 1 Peter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So when we are born to our mothers, we are born in the flesh as babies, and we grow in the flesh. But Jesus is saying that we need to be born of the Spirit, born of heaven. In Romans 5, Paul begins to explain how the work of Adam produced sin and death in all men, and then it is met and overwhelmed by the work of Jesus. So here it is in a nutshell. 
just as one person did it wrong and got us all into this trouble of sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many in the wrong, and one man said yes to God and put many in the right. And that's the scripture, I mean, that, that scripture reminds me of, you know, if you can remember back when you were at school in your classroom, and the teacher says, no one is allowed to talk, you all have to do your work. And then there's one child in the class who talks and ruins it for the whole class. And then the teacher says, now the whole class has to stay in at break. And so that one child has ruined it for the whole class. And they're all like, oh, so that's just like Adam. He ruined it for all of us. <laughs> I'm sure we would have been just like him. But then it says, but Jesus came and paid the price for all of us so that we all don't have to stay in at break, that we can all go out and play. And he's given us life and fun and outdoors and, and a great experience outside on the playground. So that's a, a, a fun little example to try and understand that. But gaining an understanding of how each aspect of the life and death of Christ addresses and atones for the penalty and consequences of our sin is produced in as a great faith to enter into a powerful and complete promise of salvation that God has offered us. So um, I love this one scripture from John 1 because it speaks a little bit about Israel, which is what's happening at the moment. It says, he came to that which has been known, sorry, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So... The Jews were blinded, they couldn't see him. And we praying that they would turn and receive the Messiah. But yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's us. We have received him and we believe and we become his children, not of natural descent or of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so today... Make sure that you're born of God. Make sure that you're born again. Maybe today is your date of birth for your, great, your spiritual awakening. So Jesus, it says in that John 3 scripture that he was the one and only son. He was the begotten son. And that means that he was, the word means that he was one of a kind. He, was, he had a specific relationship with God. Jesus was God. It says that he was unique in that he was God. He was his one and only son. If you think of Abraham, Abraham had Ishmael before in Genesis 17. And so God had promised Abraham a son. And Abraham tried to do it, make his own plans and had a son with his maidservant and they named him Ishmael. But then God blessed Sarah, his wife, and he had the promised son, and they named him Isaac. And so Ishmael was Abraham trying to make a plan, and Isaac was God's true promise. And the Bible says that Isaac was Abraham's one and only son. He was the promised son. So it's the same word, just out of interest. But the, there's three aspects of salvation that I want to look at. 
One is justification, which I said was just as if I've never sinned. That's the moment of your salvation, the saving of our spirits from the penalty of death. Justification is God legally proclaiming that the one who has been crucified, this is you, you've been crucified, buried, and resurrected with Christ, are now in fact righteous. That's your justification. You are made righteous today as you believe. That's your justification. Just as if you've never sinned, you stand here justified, just like you've never sinned. Even though you have, he cleanses you, he washes it away, he forgives you. Then, now that I'm born again and I believe and I'm, I'm a son or a daughter of God, I now have to walk out my salvation until I die. And so this process of walking out our salvation is called sanctification. And this is God's way of imparting his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, into our souls as we journey through this life. And then the last aspect of our salvation is called glorification, which is at the end of our lives or at the end of the ages. It's the final aspect of his grace and will not fully be manifested until Christ returns and our mortal bodies become immortal. So glorification is coming. But if justification is our rebirth into the image and likeness of God, then our sanctification is our growing up into the thinking and acting and believing as a child of God. You receive forgiveness, you are given a new nature, and then you walk it out. You walk out your salvation. As Paul said last week, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but what we do is we live with this inerrant conviction in our hearts as we discern and guided by the Holy Spirit as we outwork our salvation. So sanctification is this new nature that we've been given. Once we realize and believe this magnificent truth, we will no longer allow ourselves to identify with the many aspects of the fall of man. So what people say is when they're saved, now that they're born again, and then they sin, which does happen, <laughs> but they say, well, I'm only human. So... But in good faith, if we use the excuse like, well, I'm only human to justify our sinful um, behavior, we've got to know that true transformation occurs when we believe and apply the truth of our new nature, allowing our minds to be continually renewed in the fact that the blood of Jesus has not just put us in a positional place of righteousness before God, but it actually transforms our very nature. Christ's death and resurrection not only offers us the forgiveness of sins, but the complete removal of our sinful nature. And I just want to say this because I think a lot of Christians still struggle with sin, habitual sin, sin that like is gripping you. And it's important to understand this, that at your salvation, when you received Christ, the sinful nature is destroyed and you receive Christ and he puts inside of you a new nature. And what happens is you need to learn to how to live in your new nature. You need to learn how to live as a child of God. It doesn't just come right. You have to journey and walk it out. And so this, is, this is leads me to my third point, which is eternal life. Because it says, um, those who believe will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
And perish is like the opposite of eternal life. If you think of a branch that's attached to a tree, if you take the branch off and you leave it on, its, on the ground, it will perish and die. But if you graft the branch onto the tree, then it will grow and it will receive eternal life. And so um, eternal life, uh, the opposite is perish, like I said, but it's like, and I think even some of you, like I thought today, maybe some of you are feeling this way, like maybe that you're perishing. And even if you're born again, like maybe you feel a bit detached from the, from the vine. It's maybe things like, and I actually, I almost, when I was on holiday, I had like a, like I felt these feelings and I thought, sure, I don't know what's, what, what's going on, but it's feelings of like mundane, mediocre, apathetic, settling for like second best, unsatisfied, trying to look for life and love in other places. It's like you're stuck, you're stuck in sin. And God doesn't want us to live like that. Eternal life is the opposite, it's abundant. It's extraordinary, it's excellent, it's imaginative, it's enthusiastic, it's eager, it's passionate, it's full. Just think of someone, a a full, full life. If eternal life is simply just going to heaven when we die, then we should actually call it life after death rather than eternal life. But rest assured, our final destination is the presence of God in his glorious kingdom. But if salvation only means life after death, then we could just die after we are born again. We could just die and go to heaven. But Jesus came so that we could have life and life abundantly. Eternal life begins at the moment that you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you receive the Holy Spirit, who is the conduit of eternal life. It's that deposit inside of you. And Stan spoke on Christmas Day about it. He said eternal life is like quality. It's like life has this beautiful quality. It's God life that's available to us now as we're living out our salvation. And so something to help us understand perishing is like when you... Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had fullness and abundant life and then they sinned. It actually took a while for sin and death and darkness to overcome them until it reached Noah where actually God had to start again. So it takes a while for death to to overcome Adam and Eve. And if you think about our salvation and us receiving this eternal life, it's, it's like a seed, and then it grows and grows, and, and then one day we will receive the fullness. But let it grow. Let it flourish now while you are living. Much, much of, um, Peter says here in the, from his book, much of Christianity found in the Western culture has tragically evolved to a vague moral code that entails going to church and trying to do the right thing. In our minds, it's been reduced to a passport into eternal life when we die. We no longer see how the gospel applies to our everyday lives. We have, our, we have overemphasized the eternal destiny and minimized the overall process of life transformation that takes place through the gospel. To no longer apply its power throughout our Christian life is to scorn the gift of righteousness and to ignore the saving power of our body, souls, and spirit. And Christ has paid for your righteousness and for your abundant life, and it is your duty to live in it. 
We are called to live in fullness. We are called to overcome sin. We are called to live from strength to strength. And it's not easy, but we need to outwork our new nature. I am made new. That's why you think of Saul who became Paul. It's like he got a new name. He, he lived out a new way. And I wanted to talk about Genesis 17. Remember I spoke to you about Ishmael and how Abraham was trying to make a plan to receive God's promise. And he, his ma- he, he, his, he and his maidservant had this child. And it, I feel like sometimes we settle for Ishmael. Sometimes we're just like, okay, I've been saved. I'm just trying to like make a plan and get it done. But actually God is calling us to live like Isaac in the fullness, in the promise, the, the promised son. He's, he's, he's calling us to wake up and to stop living and like well, Abraham's decision like an Ishmael, but rather to live like an Isaac. And so the three points that I've given you today is God's love. May you know it and understand it more is to believe in Jesus the Son and what he's done and to live in the fullness of this eternal life. And so if you have never experienced God's love or maybe you have a little in some ways but you want to experience more or if you feel like maybe you're living a mediocre life for Christ, like you want to live like that scripture, you want to run hard, you want to Live passionately for Jesus. You want his gospel to burn on your heart. Or if you like Abraham and you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're trying to overcome sin, it's hard, you, you try and then you fall and then you try and then you go back and it's this continual battle and wrestle. I've got news for you today that God's love is available to you. He's called you to live a radical life of full devotion to him. He has made you a new creation and given you full access by the Holy Spirit to work out your salvation. Give thanks to God and, as I said earlier, lift your eyes to Him. Dwell on what He has done for you by sending His Son. This is why we take communion, because we dwell, we set our minds. Sometimes it takes a little bit of effort, but we set our minds on what Jesus has done. Because there's so many things taking our attention. So many things, the busyness of life, Netflix, our phones, there's so much. We have to like be disciplined and set our minds on Jesus. We have to look to him and we have to think about what he's done. What I'd, a helpful thing that I do is like in the morning when you wake up, before you like pick up your phone or before you start your day, set your mind on Jesus. Begin to speak to him, start to thank him for what he's done for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've saved me. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm a new creation. Begin to say those things and say them out loud in the morning when you're praying and you're thinking about God. Say them with your words. It's like you have to almost train yourself to walk with the Lord. But remember Jesus and his work on the cross and change your perspective Bring your life into the light, like that John 3 scripture says, and let God shine in it. Take your nakedness, your shame, your sin, your evil deeds, and put them before Jesus at the cross. And say, thank you, Jesus, that you've given me a new nature, that you've taken my sin and my shame, and you've given me a new nature inside, a new robe. He's like clothed you with new clothing. You take off your old clothes clothes. 
He's given you a purpose to live for him. And there's such a beautiful line in one of the songs by Stephanie Gritzinger. She says at the bridge, she says, and this is actually my prayer for you today. My prayer is, give the lamb the reward of his suffering. With all the elders in the heavens and the saints, all of us, give your crown to Jesus. With the angels in the heavens and all the creatures, cry out, holy to God. And give your life and every breath to him now. We were singing that, it's your breath in my lungs, I pour out my praise. Every breath give to Jesus. He deserves every part of you. There's in that old hymn, it says, if the whole realm of nature were mine, it would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so let us lay down our lives on the altar before Jesus and say, I'm all yours, Lord. Take everything of me. Use every part of me, my work days and my sleeping and my mothering and all aspects of my life. Use my words and every part of me and my thoughts. You have everything, Lord. Let's start the year putting our lives before God and laying our lives on the altar before him and surrendering everything to him. And what I would like to do now is to, for us to take communion. So I'm going to give you like three or four minutes just to get your, um, your bread and your juice. And then we're going to take it together as a community in unity. So would you do that for me? And then we can pray and respond to Jesus together. Please don't go. Take this moment to, to take communion.